Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first scripture is Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is a song at the dedication of the temple of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you delivered me. You have healed me. Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from John's Gospel. We are in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John, and this is how the Gospel writer leaves us with this final story. It is John 21, 1 through 19. Listen again with fresh ears. After all these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, 
No. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked. And he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed be to God. So a few years ago, there was a cultural phenomenon, mostly in elementary schools, although it spilled over a little bit into the church world. Who remembers Flat Stanley? Do y'all remember some hands? Yep, yep. So it was just a little kind of person that was cut out from a piece of paper, just flat, and his name was Stanley. And they would get them in their class and then they would take them home and if this was over summer break or over a spring break or the weekend or over a week, everywhere they went with, they took their little Flat Stanley with them. If their family went to the grocery store, Flat Stanley would go. They would take a picture of Flat Stanley in the grocery aisle or holding the bacon or the cupcakes. If they went on vacation, then Flat Stanley went with them. You could see the picture up in the mountains or maybe at the beach. And so at the end of that time, mostly chronicled in pictures, you had a collection of where Flat Stanley had gone. At my last church, they did this with a rubber chicken. 
that they stole from my office. All of a sudden, my little rubber chicken was gone. I worried about my little friend. Months went by. And then one Sunday, I got a collection of pictures that my little rubber chicken had been around the world. Several of our members had gone and they took my chicken with them and took little pictures all over the world. Very fun. I never knew where my chicken would turn up and those who were following Flat Stanley never knew where Flat Stanley would turn up. Today, Jesus fits into that mold in the sense that the disciples don't know where Jesus is going to pop up next. In John's gospel, they have seen him twice already, and a third time, if you count Mary at the tomb, when she thought Jesus was the gardener and didn't recognize him, that's one. And then he appeared twice to the disciples in the locked room. Remember, they were all frightened and afraid behind the locked doors, and Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. I doubt that they felt that. Just appeared, boom, there he is. But Thomas wasn't there, and he came again. So doubting Thomas, I didn't see him, so I can't proclaim. And then a week later, Jesus came back, appeared to them again, but he keeps disappearing. He doesn't just say, I'm back, and sits with them and stays with them. He comes and he goes. They're still confused. They're still perplexed about all that happened Holy Week and this resurrection. Is it for real? Did we get some bad hummus? Do we, are we not sure? We're just not sure what is happening. So they're in Galilee. That's where many of the disciples were from. We know many of them were fishermen, not all, but many. So in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of them still trying to process, is Jesus alive or not, even though they had seen him twice already or three times, Peter simply says, I'm going fishing. Now, maybe he was overwhelmed and reverted back to what he knew. Maybe he was just hungry and wanted to fish. Now, when we fish, largely it is for sport, for fun, even if we keep and catch and eat. But remember, this is what a lot of these disciples did. These were, at least some of them, professional fishermen. So um, six others of the disciples, not all of them, but six others say, we'll go with you. We got to get out of town. This is too crazy. Don't know what's going on. We need to get out on the water, change our environment, whatever. So there they are all night fishing. Remember, they're fishing with nets, not with rods, reels, and hooks. All night, professional fishermen. So morning comes. And as we have heard already, what do they catch? The big goose egg. Nothing. Nada. So another layer of frustration now on top of everything else they're trying to deal with and figure out. And then on the shore, someone is there. We know it's Jesus, but they don't. They just see someone on the beach. There is a fire going. This person, I'm sure, was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, hitting a beach ball around, listening to some Jimmy Buffett, cheese pita in paradise. Yes, that's exactly what was happening. 
but they don't know who he is. But he's there some some reason on the beach. And then he cries out to them. They're not too far away. Children, you don't have any fish, do you? No, thank you for bringing up such a painful memory. We've been fishing all night. No, stranger, we do not. And Jesus says, as he has done in other accounts, Luke 5 primarily takes the net and tells them to take it, cast it on the other side. And they do, and as Vicki has already elaborated and illustrated, caught the net. It was so filled with fish that they couldn't even haul it in. They had to tow it behind the boat at this point because it was so filled. And it was at this point that John, the beloved disciple, who we believe was John who wrote the gospel of John, excuse me, although chapter 21, we call the epilogue because we think it was added but by an editor that was consistent with the Johannine style of writing. It is seen as credible, but probably added at a different time. So, John the beloved disciple, after they catch the fish, through this miracle, and it was a miracle. Remember, all night nothing. They only moved the net, what, 10 feet from this side of the boat to the, it's still the same patch of water that's underneath them. All the fish weren't all over here all night, and they were over here. This was a miracle. John sees it, recognizes it, and says, it is the Lord. Whoop, whoop. I added the whoop, whoop. And that's where John stops. And then Peter, hearing John say, it's Jesus. It is the Lord, and, and Peter looks and recognizes, he gets so excited, he puts some clothes on, and he dives into the water. Was he naked, naked? Was he in his loincloth? We don't know. But it makes sense that if you're fishing all night, they didn't have as many clothes changes as we have. They didn't have big closets filled. They probably had to protect their clothing, so it makes sense. You fish all night, you're going to be stinky. Even if you don't catch fish, you're working hard, you're working those nets, you would have been uh, after, akin to a, uh, after a shift of doing some kind of manual labor work where you're sweating and nasty. So he puts his clothes on, jumps in the water, and comes to shore. So let's take this first section. So we see right away Two responses from these disciples. You have John, the beloved disciple, and you have Peter. Let's think about the two different responses. Number one, John recognized him and proclaimed, it is the Lord. Probably the most succinct affirmation of faith you will find in the Bible. It is the Lord. And he stops right there. Now, why do we call the beloved disciple beloved? Well, because we feel that he and Jesus had a closer relationship, that he and Jesus spent time together. At the Last Supper, it says that uh, John, the beloved disciple, was uh, reclined with and next to Jesus and spent more and closer time to him. So the first thing I want us to remember is to recognize and understand Christ 
means that we need to first spend time with Christ. None of the other disciples recognized Jesus right away. John did. And our conclusion is that because he spent more time with Christ, he was able to recognize Christ. The last two weeks, we've talked about the walk to Emmaus and the two disciples, Cleopas and the other disciple that walked with Jesus and they didn't know that Christ was there until the breaking of the bread. And here it was the same for John until the catching of the fish in the net. Then they realized that Christ was Christ. So very simply, in the vein of Christianity 101, the more time we spend with God allows us to recognize and understand Christ more clearly, more vibrantly, more consistently. I know we all come in and out of sputtering and feelings of connectedness with God. But if like John, the beloved disciple, we can continue to spend time with God, we will recognize and understand Christ in a powerful and consistent way. So that's John. Number two, Peter doesn't necessarily understand first, he acts first. Jesus, woo, (laughs) jumps in the water. Gotta get to him, gotta get to him. Passionate, acts before he thinks often. That's what we know about Peter, impulsive, passionate. And for Peter, he didn't have the initial understanding, but he had the action. And so if we look at these two disciples together, our hope is that we are able to do both of those things. That we can learn and spend enough time with Christ that we recognize and understand him. And then number two, that we then take the action to both serve and place ourselves in the presence of Christ as Peter did. Because if John had just said, it is the Lord, and stayed there and done nothing about it, what would have happened? Nothing. And often, as good Presbyterians, we keep our faith in our mind, in our head, as we're continuing to play off and figure out and make statements and conclusions. And I get that, I don't get that, I'm in, I'm out, I'm not sure. And and then Peter, again, acts without the understanding. And we cannot act without understanding because then we are not fulfilling our Christian call. If we go out into the world and show Christian action without understanding that it's Christian, Is it a Christian act? There are lots of great atheists and kind atheists who do nice things to serve humankind in the world. That is great, good for them, but we serve those in the world because we are Christian. Remember all the way back to Jesus's birth, those magi, those wise men, they knew how to find Christ for these simple two reasons. They recognized and understood through scripture, Hebrew scripture, what was happening, that this Messiah was being born. And number two, they acted and followed the star and placed themselves in the presence of Christ as Peter did. So like these two disciples, we need to respond, recognize and understand, 
and then respond as Peter did by taking action and jumping into the world to live our faith. Number two, then they get to the shore and they realize that it's, the net is so big, they're having trouble getting it in. Jesus has his charcoal fire going. Yes, the original kettle Weber sacred divine grill started here. The practice of grilling, Jesus begins right here. There is fish and there is bread. Fish and bread, hmm. We've seen these symbols before, absolutely. Fish and bread together in the feeding of the 5,000. What was going on in the feeding of the 5,000? All those people were gathered and they were hungry and had no food. What's happening with these disciples? They are caught in a hunger of their own doubt and fear and darkness. And what does Christ bring to them? Fish, bread, and his presence. We can't help but think of the Last Supper and the Eucharistic symbolism with the bread as we've been studying the last few weeks that he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. All of that is there for Christ to remind them that he will continue to nurture, sustain, feed, and love them. And then the third part, this famous dialogue between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? I do. Peter, do you love me? Just said I did. Peter, do you love me a third time? Why do you keep asking me if I love you? Of course I love you. And then it kind of kicks in back for Peter. Three times did Peter deny Christ and three times does he have a chance to affirm his love for Christ. But it's more than just an on-ramp to grace for Peter. It is the way that we are all being commissioned to go and to serve. Each time Peter says, I love you, Lord, he says, in some way, take care of my people then. I'm getting ready to go. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Feed, tend, feed. Take care of them. And it commissions Peter to go as a disciple and to live his life, staying connected to Christ through serving others whom God loves. That's not a bad call. If you sometimes feel separated from Christ, what can you do? Go out and take care of God's sheep. Serve others. And we will feel the presence of Christ and find that we are not alone in our challenges in this journey. It's also a way that Jesus says, Peter, I forgive you. The same way that no matter what we have done, where we have been, whether we openly rebel and turn away and refuse to accept that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are real and a part of our lives, or we have just turned away momentarily, that Christ welcomes us back. That Christ says, I forgive you, friends, come home. I have breakfast for you. I have fish and I have bread. Serve others and there you will find me among other places. And this is our calling today. So three things, again, I want you to take with us, with you today. 
Number one, we need to be both John, the beloved disciple, and Peter in both understanding, spending time with God so that we recognize Christ. And then two, having the faith and the passion and the courage to jump out to go serve Christ and put ourselves in his presence. So number one. Number two, know that Christ is alive and continues to seek to nurture and feed us. And then number three, just like Peter, we are being called to, to connect with Christ through serving others and to know that we are forgiven no matter what. And today, as we look at how Jesus calls Peter to a new way of being, through using his gifts to go out and to serve other people in the world as he's being called. Today, we celebrate others who are gifted, who grew up in this church, who are being called out into the world to serve Christ and by taking care of God's people in the way that they are being called. 